It's kind of fitting that we're continuing our series on love, and it is Valentine's Day. I want to tell you a story about a husband and wife. They were fussing one day. Not that that ever happens, uh, especially in our household. You know, me and my wife, we never argue, never fuss. But let's say you do. Um, They were really going at it. And so the wife made a suggestion. She said, let's write down our complaints on a piece of paper, and then we can show each other exactly how you know, we feel. She thought this might you know, just kind of cut down on the amount of bickering and fussing if we can just write it down instead of keep verbalizing it. And so the husband agreed and got out the paper. The wife got out the pencils, and they both started writing. And they both started writing furiously, just filling up the page. The husband would pause, look at his wife, and then start writing again. The wife would pause, look at her husband, and just get to writing some more. The husband paused again, looked at his wife with an even angrier look, and then he would write some more. The wife did the same, and then she put her pencil down, but the husband was still writing. And he looked up at her in fury and continued writing, and he kept writing. And then he wrote some more, and then he wrote even more, and the wife was getting pretty angry here uh, because she was done, and he's still writing. She had filled up one side of the page, but now he's already flipped the page over. He's working on the back. And he kept looking up at her and coming up with more to write. And every time he looked up, he thought of something else to write. And so, obviously, she was not feeling very good at this point. And he's filling up the page. He's clenching her fist. And then finally, her husband said he's finished. And so they exchanged the sheets of paper. And they looked at each other's sheets. And as soon as she looked at his sheet, she wanted hers back. Because when she looked at her husband's sheet, she had seen that in his anger, and in spite of his pain, on every line he had written, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm angry, but I love you, I'm ticked off, but I love you, I don't want to be here right now, but I love you, on every line. And at that moment, in that demonstration of love, you know, they may have been able to define love, but in that moment, in that demonstration of love, the path to reconciliation was much easier to walk down for them, and the wife caught a glimpse of the love of God in that moment through her husband's actions. And you know, if you may remember last week, if you were here, or if you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, you know that without love we are nothing. That's what Paul says. We are nothing, no matter how gifted we are, no matter how much we know, without love, we are nothing. And then we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, at the beginning, we saw a definition of what love is. And love is giving of yourself to another for their good. That's what love is. It's giving of yourself to another for their good. And so as we move further into this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to see that love isn't simply meant to be defined, but it's meant to be demonstrated. And we're going to see several portraits of love this morning. In some of the portraits, we're going to see how love acts when love is present. And in some of the other portraits, we're going to see uh, how one acts when love is not present, at least in that moment. And so beginning in verse 4, we're going to see two portraits of what love is and four portraits of what love is not. And so let's look at what love is. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. And so the first portrait we see of love here is that love is patient. And a dictionary defines patience this way. Being able to remain calm and not become annoyed when waiting for a long time or when dealing with problems or difficult people. And the word patience that Paul uses specifically refers to being patient with people, not so much with circumstance. Obviously, that's a a virtue as well, but he's specifically talking about being patient with people. And I'm sure everyone in here has become impatient at one time or the other, right? With someone, maybe at least one time, we've become impatient. And many of us can relate to what Margaret Thatcher once said. She said, I am extraordinarily patient, provided that in the end, I get what I want. (laughs) Right? I mean, most of us are willing to be patient if we know and we think we're going to get what we want. But that's not the type of patience that Paul is talking about here. The type of patience he's talking about doesn't flow from getting what you want, but rather flows from love for the other person and seeking their best interests. This is the type of patience that Paul is talking about. Another word for this word patience that's translated in the King James Version, I believe, if you have the King James Version, it says love is long-suffering. Now, this isn't a word that we use much, but it's a vivid description about this this idea of what love is. It's patient. It's long-suffering. In other words, it suffers a long time with the people that it loves. (laughs) It's willing to put up with things for their good. And he's saying if you love someone, you'll be patient with them or you'll be willing to suffer a long time with them. And the idea is when those around you do something against you or something you don't like, You refrain from losing your temper or becoming hostile. There's a a stability there you're able to maintain even though they're seeking maybe your harm. An early church preacher, his name is John Chrysostom, he said it this way. He said this word is used of a man who is wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself and yet he does not do it. This is patience. I'm wronged in some way. Someone does something I don't like. And I could respond and avenge myself, but I don't do it. Because of my love for the other person. Because I'm seeking their good. And this is what patience means. Patience is like love's defense. You know, every sporting event has, or sporting team has an offense and a defense. And patience is like, Loves defense. And so when something happens to me, the more I love those around me, the more when something happens to me I don't like or is against me, my defense to that is to be patient if the love is present. I'm patient. And what that means is when someone sins against me, if I love them, I am able to be patient or I'm able to not return the same type of action to them. I'm able to not allow their sin to cause me to sin. Being patient with them. It's like love's defense. Now, patience is the defense. Well, what about the offense? Because, you know, to have a good team, you've got to have both. 
even though many say defenses win Super Bowls. You need both, defense and offense. Okay, so, so patience is love's defense, and this leads us to the second portrait of love, which is love's offense, which is kindness. This is why Paul puts these together and says love is patient and kind. Both of these come together. On the one hand is when something happens to you that really makes you angry or causes you to want to respond and attack back. Paul says if, there's, if love is present, the more that love is present, the more patient you'll become. The more you'll defend that and not allow it to uh, cause you to sin against the other person. But then also there's an offense which dictates how you move toward that person. And that offense is kindness. So patient, a patience keeps you from attacking the way they attacked you. And kindness actually causes you to move towards someone for their good. So for example, let's say someone tells a lie about you. Well, how do you respond? Well, an unloving response would be to call them a liar and then defend your reputation. But a loving response would seek to want what's best for the other person. It would have not only it wouldn't have your reputation necessarily in mind, it would have their good in mind. And so what that would mean is you would not try to react by uh, name calling or committing sin against the other person or seeking to destroy the other person, but rather you would respond for their good, which would mean and include helping them to see the truth. So it would, on the one hand, keep you from responding in sin, but also it would make you respond in a way that seeks their good. Now let's consider what this this doesn't mean. Being patient with someone doesn't mean that uh, you, you never tell them what they're doing is wrong. That's not what this means. You're helping people see the truth is a very kind thing, very loving thing. And so being patient doesn't mean that you just, it doesn't matter what other people do, you just let them keep doing it and you never talk to them about their actions. Okay, that's not patience. That's not love. And patience is not voluntarily subjecting yourself to abuse, whether it's physical, verbal, or emotional. What patience means is not returning evil for evil. When evil happens, because love is present, I can respond in good and not in evil. That's patience. Kindness means not only not responding in evil, but actually responding in good with a good action, seeking the good of the other person. And so patience, kindness come together. Now, when we think about love and its definition and its demonstration, or any of our behaviors, we have to trace it all back to the person of God. This is what we saw last week. If we're going to define love, we need to look to God because God is love. And that's how we came up with this definition that love is giving of yourself for the good of others because that's what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so what this verse says is that God is patient toward us. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, God is seeking our good even when we are in rebellion against Him. This is what this means. God is patient toward us 
You know, Paul says it this way in Romans. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so even though we were seeking God's downfall, so to speak, He was seeking our good. So He was patient toward us. He desires that all admit our sin, that we all confess our sin and embrace the gifts of eternal life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, not wishing that any should perish. In other words, God has done all that is necessary for us to experience what we need the most, and that is life in Him. However, He doesn't force us to make that choice. But He also doesn't say, well, you know, you can just do whatever you want and there will be no consequences. Because that's not love either. And so on the one hand, even while we are against Him, He seeks our good. And on the other hand, He clearly points out what is right and what is wrong. So what we see here is that patience is love in motion. When love is demonstrated towards others, you see it in our patience. Love doesn't allow the actions of another person to cause us to sin. And at the same time, it causes us to move forward for their good. This is what the love of God in us prompts. And I wonder, when you look at our lives and how we respond to those around us, does our love differ from those who don't know the love of Christ. The way we respond, is it the same as the way the world responds? Or is there a distinction? And I wonder if you've ever said, you know, I'm just not a very patient person. Anybody ever said that? I've said that many times. (laughs) I'm just not a very patient person. But you know, when we say that, when we say, you know, we're just not very patient people. According to Paul, what he's telling us is what we're saying is, you know what? We really just don't love people. (laughs) That's what he's saying. We're just not very loving people. Because impatience flows from lack of love, is what Paul's saying. If love is patient, then lack of love causes us to be impatient. So, love is patient, love is kind. In other words... You will be willing to seek their good even when they're not seeking your good. This is what the love of God and Christ in you does in your life. Now let's look at the third portrait of love. And now we're moving from what love is to what love is not. So love is patient. Love is kind. Paul says love does not envy. This is something love doesn't do. It does not envy. And someone once said there are two types of people in the world. There are millionaires and those who want to be millionaires, right? That's envy. It's, it's, I want what someone else has. But then one scholar said it this way. He said, actually, there are two kinds of envy. One kind covets the possessions of another person. So I want what they have. They receive something, well, I want it. That's one type of envy. But there's a second type of envy that's even worse And that is, it's not so much that I want it, but I don't want them to have it. And this type of envy is is even worse because it takes some type of pleasure in the downfall of others. So when, when things are going well with someone and then something bad happens, there's a sense of pleasure. That flows from envy. And he goes on to say, this type of meanness of soul uh, can sink no further than that. And also envy, what it does to you is it steals your joy. 
You know, envy, envy keeps you from enjoying what God has given you. I just don't see how you can enjoy what you have and at the same time envy someone else or want what they have. And so love does not envy. And honestly, too, and I know this is true of my own life and maybe it's true of you, it's just hard to seek the good of someone if you want what they have. If you think what they have, you should have. And they shouldn't have it. It's really hard to seek their good and want what's best for them. Or as Paul said in Romans 12, 15, he said what we should do, what love does, is rejoice in those, with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. In other words, when something good happens to someone, I'm actually excited about that. I rejoice when they rejoice. Now, if you have children, if you have children or cousins or small nephews and nieces or whatnot, or grandchildren, you know what it's like to rejoice with those who rejoice. When something good happens to you know, your child or your nephew or niece or grandchild, usually you're excited about that because you love them. But your neighbor or your coworker or that person that you know, kind of gets on your nerves when something great happens to them, it's not as easy to rejoice with those who rejoice because we're not loving the way God loves. We're only loving those who love us instead of loving people the way God loves people. And so, so the more we love someone, it, it's easier, it becomes easier to rejoice when they are blessed. Now let's look at the fourth portrait of love. And what I'm doing here, we're going to get to the end of what do we do about this, because I would imagine at this point, if you're like me, as I was studying through this, walking through this, I'm thinking, man, my love is lacking. You know, my love is pretty shallow. <laughs> and I'm really wrestling with this passage, thinking, wow, I'm just really not loving the way God loves. And so now I know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of piling it on you. I know, you know, it's weighing you down. But we're going to get there. Okay, I'm going to show you what we do about it in just a moment. But first, I need to pile some more on you. So first, we have love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. Now the fourth portrait of love is love does not boast. And love, what this means is love does not seek to put the spotlight constantly on himself. It's kind of interesting that we're talking about this too during the, uh, the presidential debate. Uh, in the whole presidential campaign. Because, you know, when you're campaigning, that's what you're, you're trying to put the spotlight on yourself. So it's interesting how you, how you, how you would walk through this uh, loving like God loves. But it should cer- certainly inform them as well as it should inform us if we, in fact, know the love of God. And so the more one grows in his love for others, the more attention we will begin to put on them rather than ourselves. Love does not boast. And so love has this ability to both recognize our unworthiness of God's grace. But at the same time, it can keep us from boasting and trying to get all this attention to make ourselves feel better because we can rest in the fact that God accepts us because of what Jesus has done. When we understand the love of God, it causes us not to boast. We don't, we don't have to be the center of attention. We don't have to get all the accolades. We don't have to get all the attention. 
Actually, what we want is we want God to get the attention and we want to help others. And so the, the focus shifts off of self to others and what God would have us to do. The fifth portrait is similar to the fourth, and that is, as Paul continues and says, love is not arrogant or puffed up. Love is not arrogant or puffed up. I want you to think about, think about it like this. Let's say you're this balloon right here. Okay, this is you, this is me. And what this means is when we're not loving people, we want to puff ourselves up. We want to blow ourselves up. And so what we do is we try to get the attention on us. And so, you know, we, we try to share with you how great we are. And we, we blow ourselves up a little bit. And we're like, hey, look how great I am. Look how big I am. Oh, I'm not getting your attention. Well, let me blow some more air in here. Now do you see me? Now do I have your attention? Now you can talk about how great I am. Okay? This is arrogance. And this is what love does not do. And Paul says, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You're accepted by God in Christ. You don't have to try to drain the room of attention and put it all on you. You don't have to seek the approval of people to be significant. And actually, when you love other people the way God loves, you actually want to take the back seat because you don't need the front seat. I don't know, this, this reminds me of, uh, and maybe you all did this as a child. All right, let's say dad's driving the car. Mom's out of town. We're not going with you. And the kids are running to the car. What do they call? Shotgun. Shotgun. In other words, I want the front. I want the best seat. Shotgun. And then they're like wedging people out. You know, I want the, I want the best seat. And yet Jesus said, you know, you could take the back seat. Take the back seat. And then maybe, maybe you'll be moved up to the front seat. But maybe not, and that's okay. That's all right. I'm not saying it's wrong to sit in the front seat. What I'm saying is, there's a sense in which we begin to think of others more so than ourselves. Love does not boast. It doesn't puff ourselves up. It's not proud. There's a story of William Carey, who was one of the greatest missionaries and certainly one of the best linguists the world has ever seen. Listen to this. He translated at least parts of the Bible into no fewer than 34 English, I mean, Indian languages. He translated parts of the Bible into no fewer than 34 Indian languages. I may know a handful of words in one other language. (laughs) And he's got 34. And he began his life as a cobbler. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cobbler is, you have someone who's a shoemaker... And then you have someone who repairs shoes. That's what he did. He didn't make the shoes. He just simply repaired them. Okay, so he wasn't like this successful businessman by no means. He was just kind of a, uh, what you might consider an hourly employee repairing shoes. Well, when he came to India, he was regarded with dislike and contempt. And one, one night at a dinner party, a snob, with the idea of humiliating him, humiliating him, said in a tone that everyone could hear. He said, I suppose, Mr. Carey, You once worked as a shoemaker. And he responds by saying, Know your lordship, not a shoemaker, only a cobbler. 
He did not even claim to make shoes, only to mend them. In other words, he didn't have a desire to puff himself up. To maybe bend the truth just a little bit, just to make himself sound a little better. But the love of God was residing and transforming his life. And it began to show. Love is humble. It's not arrogant. And the sixth portrait and final portrait that we'll look at this morning is found actually at the beginning of verse 5. And Paul says, love is not rude. The New International Version translates it this way, love does not dishonor others. And one, one scholar explained it this way. He said, there's a kind of Christianity which takes a delight in being blunt and almost brutal. There is strength in it, but there is no winsomeness. There is a graciousness in Christian love which never forgets that courtesy and tact and politeness may possibly be regarded as lesser virtues, but they are lovely things. And as followers of Christ, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. Because it's one thing to tell the truth, speak the truth, but it's another to be able to do that in an attitude of love, in a position of love. And I wonder, do people like talking to you about spiritual things? Just think about those around you. Do they like talking to you about God? Or do they try to avoid that conversation with you? Because it could be that they're not trying to avoid God, but they may be trying to avoid how you talk to them about God. In other words, it may not be flowing from an attitude of love. It may just be flowing from a desire to be right. Instead of a desire to seek their good. So we need to express love when we speak the truth. And we need to do it in an honorable way. A respectful way. To those around us. Because everyone is created in the image of God. And so we want to love them and value them as such. So. How are you feeling about yourself? Feeling pretty good. Happy Valentine's Day. You know. Feel great. Like I said, as I was studying this, I was thinking, wow. Uh, yes, I've seen growth in this area over the past 20 years. However, I am so far from being like God and His love. You know, as I studied this passage, I became more and more aware of how shallow my love is for other people. I was confronted with how quickly I become impatient. How quickly I become impatient with even the people that I love because they love me. Not to mention those that don't love me. I was confronted with my lack of kindness. I was confronted with envy and boasting and arrogance and even rudeness in my own heart and my own life. And I considered God's love and I looked at my love. I, you know, I looked at God and His love. I looked at my love and I saw, wow, there's a great difference. <laughs> there's a great difference between the two. And so, what do you do? Where do, we, where do we go from here? Well, here's one option. Hey, when you leave church today, you need to try harder. Okay? Be more patient. Be kind. Stop envying everybody. Quit boasting. And let's close in prayer. I mean, we could do that. And that may last till you get to the car. Or until you get to the Valentine's crowd at the restaurant. 
But that's not going to sustain it. That type of charge and method will not sustain the type of love we're talking about here. The only way for you and me to become more patient, kinder, content, and humble in growing in our love, and, and which is, the way we do that is by growing in our love for other people. Okay? Our, as our love for other people grows, we will become more patient with them, we will be kinder toward them, we will be, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll act out of a, a position of humility toward them. We will not boast. We will not seek our own interests. That will all flow from a growing love for other people. Now the question is, well, how does my love for other people grow? Well, the only way our love for other people will grow is by allowing the love of God to dwell and transform our lives. To dwell in and transform our lives. In other words, the more we understand and experience God's love for us through Jesus Christ, the more we will grow in our love for other people. The more we grow in our understanding of the gospel, the more we will begin to see people like God sees them. And then the more we will grow to love them. And as our love for people grows, the more patient we will become, the kinder we will be, And it will be our instinct then. Almost instinctually, we will respond with rejoicing when others rejoice instead of responding out of envy. And we'll have this growing desire to to make much of God and seek the good of others instead of propping up ourselves or glorifying ourselves. But this will only come about if we seek to know and experience the love of God in Christ Because there's no other foundation on earth that can support that type of love. You see that? There's no other foundation that can support it. There's no other reservoir you can draw from that will cause you to love even those that don't love you. It's only by allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that God loved you even while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, That He freely bestowed on you this grace, this offer of salvation. That all you had to do was accept it. Turn to Him and just accept it. That God has chosen to set your love on on you. Only this type of foundation can compel you to love others even when they don't love you. So how do we become more patient, kinder, selfless? Well, we look again and again and again at at God to both define love and how He demonstrated His love. And you experience His love in Christ and as you grow in that knowledge and appreciation of who God is and what He's done for you, then your capacity for love will increase. That's the only way. Now, we should try harder. You know, the gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to uh, us thinking that we're accepted by God because we're so patient or we're so kind. We're only accepted by God because of what Christ has done. But once we're in that position in the family of God through Jesus Christ, He wants us to put forth effort to seek and to know Him and to love others like Him. In William Barclay's notes on this passage, he shares a story about Abraham Lincoln And he says, no one treated Lincoln with more contempt 
than a man named Stanton. Stanton called him a low cunning clown. Now listen to what he said about Lincoln. He said, Stanton nicknamed Lincoln the original gorilla and said that this explorer that was looking for gorillas in Africa, uh, he said that this man was a fool to wonder about Africa trying to capture a gorilla when he could have found one so easily in Springfield, Illinois. And Lincoln said nothing. And actually, when Lincoln was elected president, he made Stanton his war minister because Stanton was the best man for the job. And he, tra- he treated Stanton with every courtesy. And the years wore on, and the night came when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln in the theater. And in the little room to which the president's body was taken, there stood the same Stanton that night. And looking down on the silent face of Lincoln in all its ruggedness, Stanton said through the tears, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And I wonder, you know, at the end of your life, what do you want people to say? What do you want people to say about you? And my, my prayer is that at the end of our lives, people would be reminded of the patient, kind, selfless, and humble love of God. And will say, not there lies the greatest ruler of men ever that has ever lived, but rather that they would say, there lies someone who served the greatest ruler of all. The God and God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, that's our prayer. Lord Jesus, we know you, you, you told us in your word that they will know us by our love. And that love is so distinct because it flows not only to those we like, but to those who dislike us. And Lord, we confess our impatience. We confess our meanness, our arrogance, our rudeness. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember the gospel, remember the goodness of what you've accomplished through Christ. Remember your unconditional love and how you've showered it upon us. Remind us of your patience toward all men and women and children. That we may be able to, through the power of your Spirit, to demonstrate that type of love to others as well. So that they may just catch a glimpse, just get a taste of the love that you have for us in Jesus. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.